It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, Joe and I are back together. Joe's off the night shifts, and we're going to take some time to start the show by looking back at the last few years of quarterback draft class, the last few players Cincinnati has brought in. Talk about the excitement. Joe Daneman did a crowdsourced tweet today asking, is this the most excited and galvanized the Cincinnati fan base has been for new player to come in talking about Joe Burrow since who Ken Griffey Jr. Carson Palmer, somebody else. And we'll talk about that. Look at the last few quarterbacks draft to do some comparison there. Then since Joe's here, I've got to talk to him and we'll get a discussion going about that national championship game more than just the five minutes I did yesterday. And then we'll wrap up by finally getting to those wild card games from Sunday that we haven't talked about yet. Look at the, free agents in those games and talk about any lessons learned for the Bengals because it seems like a lot of NFL teams are learning lessons from the playoffs but we're going to get started with looking at Joe Burrow and looking back and evaluating the excitement for Joe Burrow coming into Cincinnati. Cincinnati Fox 19's Joe Daneman asked his followers for perspective on the last time Cincinnati was unanimously excited about an athlete's arrival the way they are right now with Joe Burrow. His suggestion was Ken Griffey Jr. back in 2000. I think that there are a few other Reds players to talk about in that time frame that certainly qualify in Jay Bruce's first game in the big leagues. That was a big deal for the city. Homer Bailey. These are two guys that were number one prospects in baseball that came up. There's a lot of excitement for those moments. Johnny Cueto to a lesser extent. And to start getting back toward football, Deion Sanders when he was playing for the Reds was pretty exciting too. But let's just look at the football arrivals because I don't think that anything in my memory, which goes back essentially to just before Marvin Lewis took over, really rivals the excitement for Joe Burrow right now. I'd say maybe the Terrell Owens signing before 2009 and even the, or 2010, I'm sorry. And only that because of his name and eventual Hall of Fame enshrinement for Terrell Owens but at that point it was the end of his career Uh, the Bengals were just looking for a piece because they lost Antonio Brown and Lavernius Coles they were kind of searching for wide receivers so they signed Terrell Owens the excitement was there because of the big name but I think it was very surface level I think besides that it's got to be Carson Palmer in 2003 on the football field on the football aspect of it because that represented 
an entirety of a change, not only getting Marvin Lewis that offseason, but uh, drafting the number one quarterback, Heisman winner, similar situation that the Bengals are in now. Carson Palmer brought a lot of hype and excitement. I would say maybe even the only other one to that is A.J. Green. But because 2011 was such a weird year in terms of the lockout and Carson Palmer demanding a a retirement or trade and Chad Johnson being traded in the same offseason, it probably clouded it a little more than it would have getting the number one player in the draft with the fourth pick. So we've talked then about the arrivals to Cincinnati that could rival this moment. And I know that a lot of Bengals fans were watching that championship game on Monday night and were rooting hard for Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers, despite not really caring for the most part about that football team. And I found myself in the same position. I was a little bit emotional at the end of the game, watching Joe Burrow talk about what it meant to him to win a championship, enjoying what it felt like as a Bengals fan to see your guy win, to see your guys win. So where does this line up then with other quarterbacks that have come into the NFL? You look back the last few years, has anybody stirred up quite so much excitement as Joe Burrow? You look at this year, Kyler Murray, exciting prospect, but a lot of that was tied up in his decision between baseball and football. Last year, Baker Mayfield got a lot of hype toward the end of the process. PFF pumped him up big time. He was a really good quarterback prospect. Lamar Jackson Obviously did some crazy things with his legs, but had some questions as a passer that he has since answered. So how far back do we have to go for quarterbacks for there to be such consensus around the position like there seems to be this year with a few Tua truthers still out there? And I think you start with Joe Burrow's year, maybe, and I think a lot of people are crowning this, I did also after the game, as the best passing performance for an entire season especially when you when you cap it off with the national championship and really just looking completely dominant in the playoffs those final two games um but i think we have to go back and uh, the the argument is maybe cam newton and Jameis winston had crazy seasons for for their respective teams Jameis winston didn't have a follow-up year that was absolutely as good as his redshirt freshman season and I think that brought in some competition for Marcus Mariota I believe that was the 2015 draft and so maybe Jameis isn't the great example I think Cam Newton also in that weird 2011 draft where a lot of quarterbacks were taken there was some people that liked Blaine Gabbert because Cam was a one-year starter because of the transfer from Juco ultimately from Florida but he was dominant that year and they won the national championship at Auburn so uh, Cam as a consensus number one it got to that point by the time we got to the to uh it's a late April kind of very similar I think to Baker Mayfield where those are two really good prospects that kind of had to have a swell to get to that number one pick so really the only guy that is comparable has to be Andrew Luck because he was touted as the number one pick since he was a freshman but when you got to that final year for him I believe it was his junior year it was midway through the year okay who has this number one pick it was the suck for luck campaign and I think Joe Burrow at this point from October November we were pretty sure he's going to be a top three pick and it solidified over the last month as the clear-cut number one choice. I agree with you, but it's a little bit weird to say Andrew Luck is the last guy because there's so many differences. Andrew Luck more comparable at this point to Trevor Lawrence, although Trevor Lawrence has shown suddenly this year in his sophomore season more holes in his game than Andrew Luck did in his time at Stanford. So yeah, there's a difference because it's multiple years for Luck. It's the complete package for Luck. But Joe Burrow is... 
essentially everything Andrew Luck had mm-hmm. with an average to average plus arm instead of an above average great arm. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Maybe he doesn't have because Andrew Luck was also a freak athlete. He didn't always use it, but uh, he was an A plus athlete. I'm not sure if Burrow will, will test like that, but I definitely expect him to be in like 70th percentile for quarterbacks, if not even better. Um, yeah, so I, I'm in agreement with you. I think when I look at Burrow and everything he does well, and we'll talk about that. I don't think right now, but maybe in the next uh, segment when we break down the championship game. I think there hasn't been a quarterback that has been as accomplished or refined in all the little areas of quarterbacking coming out of college. So that's when it goes back to luck, maybe Cam Newton, and then maybe all the way back into Carson Palmer in 2003. Yeah, I just scrolled through the list, and it's pretty easy to make that argument. And you also notice that quarterbacking is getting a lot better or the game is just getting a lot more quarterback-friendly. Anyway, we have a lot more to talk about with this national championship game, so let's get into that here in just a minute. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So diving into that national championship victory for our guy Joe Burrow, and I'm like you, Jake, I kind of felt like uh, for someone who doesn't have a favorite team in, in college football at all, I was really invested in LSU this year. They just seem like such a fun team, and it's because I watched Joe Burrow for and watched m- those games multiple times at this point. Uh, I really started to like Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, and Justin Jefferson and some of the guys on defense, especially the corner, number 24, who I'm forgetting right now, the freak freshman. Uh, but it really grew into, I hope this team wins, but obviously for our own sake and Joe Burrow's sake, I was nervous. Because I didn't want him, I didn't want any questions to be there uh, from the bottom five percent that still don't believe in the Bengals taking a quarterback. I, I wanted him to just go out there and dominate. And the game started off a little rough. I believe four of eight to start, a couple drops. He didn't look as crisp as we know, as we typically know him. It's funny because at halftime, I'm thinking this is the most human he's looked all year. And at the end of the game, you go, he threw for five hundred yards and five touchdowns. Like this is the most human he's looked. You know, it's funny because somebody tweeted early in the game, Joe Burrow looks rattled. He looks shook. He's getting outplayed by Trevor Lawrence. And and I didn't feel that at all. I was watching the coaches room broadcast the entire time. And maybe that colored my perspective a little bit and kept me a little bit more detached than listening to Kirk Herbstreet and, yeah. you know, the emotion that you get from the broadcast. Because I listened to the the halfway through the third quarter my I lost the coach's stream and was listening to the main broadcast from that point and I noticed my entire mindset kind of shift the names of the players got a lot more important rather than what was happening on the football field and when I was watching I felt like Burrow was very accurate even on those first four of eight they they didn't do a great job of dealing with some pressure packages mm-hmm. from, from Clemson. And I don't think that Burrow had much of a shot on those plays because Clemson's getting immediate unblocked pressure in the A or B gap. And yeah. you ask any quarterback, you're, you're not going to get production when you have unblocked pressure coming right at the middle. 
And on top of that, he has a 40-yard pass on the very first play of the game for them, I think, that is called back for the illegal downfield. So, yeah, it's 4 of 8 for 25 yards to start the game. But it could just as well be he has a drop. He has an uncalled pass interference in there, too. It could just as well be 7 for 9 for, you know, 90 yards. So it's kind of – it pivots on those things that I didn't think were really his fault. I thought he was – making good decisions. He wasn't putting the ball in dangerous positions, although he did have one turnover-worthy throw there in the third or fourth quarter when Clemson came on a zero blitz and he got it out hot. And as you would expect, Clemson was sitting on the slant because that's how their coach... I mean, talk about a well-coached team on both sides of the ball. That's what made the game so fun is that both of these teams were coached incredibly well and it just... So many good players, so many NFL caliber players. You listed a bunch. The guy you forgot, Derek Stingley Jr., the freshman who's the best cornerback I've seen in college football since Patrick Peterson. Yeah, Ramsey and Peterson. Really, those guys are freaks. But uh, I also had the college, I mean, the college coaches stream going on with the the game. And you're right, the Kirk Kirk Street and them were building the narrative of what was going on more and selling it a little bit more than I, than I agreed with. I didn't think Burrow was struggling that much, especially when the coaches were very complimentary. You could tell how the coaches were like looking at Burrow, like he does everything well. Like, Oh my God, even when a play falls incomplete, they're like, he made the right read and right throw and put it even on the right spot. They were, it was, it was fun watching those guys speak so highly of him and what was going on. Only one time, I think they really had an issue with one of his throws and he got bailed out on a uh, pass interference when the corner from the other side came and, and clocked that guy down the middle of the field is third and 18. I want to say Burrow uh, ripped it down the middle of the field and he underthrew it and it resulted in a pass interference play. It's the only throw he really missed all day. He had one, yeah. one I was going to say, to Jamar Chase on the left sideline that was beautifully placed, Perfect. and Chase dropped it. Couldn't find but, it. But, yeah, it, it just looked like it was too late coming over his shoulder, which I always say is the hardest. It's so hard to catch that. I think he you must really have don't lost understand. it in the you have to Because, like, he's looking at it. You can see his hands adjust at yeah. the last second after he finds the and ball. Late. He just can't find it. It's like, like I said, it's like looking in a mirror because as the ball is coming from your right shoulder to your left shoulder, you think like, oh, I can reach this way, but you really can't. And I don't know if that was clear because I wasn't looking at the mic, but he hit maybe three or four other deep throws that were so beautiful. The one down the right sideline where Chase ends up getting tackled at the five yard line. The corner is like trying to keep up with Chase. All of a sudden, the ball just drops perfectly into his chest plate. And it's like, oh, my God, you can't throw that any better than than Joe Burrow did at that time. Uh, I think as I rewatch that game, and I plan on doing that and writing a, a report for the Athletic, it's just it, there's some missed moments in the beginning, but it could have been completely a, a dominant dismantling of a performance. It's it's wild to see him and uh, Trevor Lawrence go back back and back. That's one thing we we talked about before the game is we want to see those guys right and have a direct comparison. And that was fun at first when they were really both into it, and it took like um, an errant throw here or or a drop pass there to really stop either offense. And then Lawrence couldn't keep up after a while for whatever reason. Clemson was unable to keep the pace with LSU. They had issues with pressure as well, and it was more consistent. LSU kind of got there late in the game, whereas Clemson. They were kind of feast or famine with the pressure. Occasion, like early in the game, they were getting to Burrow a ton, and they were getting mm-hmm. unblocked guys in the middle. And Mitchell Schwartz and a few other guys on Twitter talked about, yeah, they go empty a lot, and what they need to do when they're doing that, they're bringing six guys, you only have five guys to block, is you just need to make somebody outside win. And they're letting guys get free inside. Eventually, LSU makes that adjustment. They were still going empty, but... Mm-hmm. 
the simulated pressures were getting picked up. The blitzes were getting picked up. And where early in the game, the blitz was really affecting Burrow because it was getting home. And this isn't his fault, but it was just, like I said, unblocked A-gap pressure. Nothing you can do about that. Later in the game, he ends up 15 blitzes where he's not pressured, throws for over 200 yards on those plays, three of his touchdowns. So if you're going to blitz Joe Burrow and Clemson blitzed him You better get there. You you better get there because if it gets picked up, He's going to find a guy and it's going to absolutely gash you or he's going to find a rushing lane and take off. And he had that QB draw right before halftime, which is a massive play in the game. And he just gets like a 35-yard gain down inside the five-yard line, gets the Tigers a touchdown before halftime to get the ball back. And that's the turning point of the game, right? Yeah. And Clemson never really threw any deep balls. Uh, they threw the one that they – I thought that was a bad call. It was the offensive yeah, pass interference. Ball. Yeah, I mean, the guy just falls because you're coming back for the ball at that point. The receiver is, and, you know, if, that's how if anything, science works. Defensive pass interference. At first, I was like, oh, yeah, it looks like he pushed off, and I can see why the ref called it. But then yeah. you see the replay, and it's, if anything, defensive pass interference. Yeah, I agree. And so I would have loved to see Lawrence – test that deep ball even more it's crazy that they couldn't go to justin ross enough with Derek stingley on him i mean stingley was targeted i think twice and it was both were incomplete passes it's lsu's defense and we're gonna have to look at patrick queen i think both the defensive tackles i don't remember their names but big guys had outstanding games overall i come away like man give me three or four of these lsu players in college and on the bengals and uh I'm going to be excited in the in the draft. But I always feel that way after the national championship team finishes their season and just looks completely stacked. There are just so many players on both sides in this game. The entire LSU defensive line at this point, maybe this linebacker that ended up getting ejected for Clemson, although he looks like he might just be more of a rush downhill kind of linebacker. A lot of guys in the secondary for both teams, both secondaries played really well for the most part. And that was what really stands out. You you watch that coach's room broadcast and they're like, you know what is crazy about this game is that Clemson's defense has played really well. And you just can't defend some of those bucket throws that you saw from Joe Burrow. And the other interesting thing to me was you look at Ben Baby's timeline. He has a first half passing chart from ESPN. Clemson mm-hmm. completely took away the middle of the field in the first half. And Joe Burrow still killed him. They were down those, 17-7 and got it up to a 24, what was it, 24-17 at halftime? Yeah, and we would have said that's how you need to attack Burrow, right, is you need to make him throw to the outside. And they did. Those slot fades to Jamar Chase just completely ripped open the game and had made Clemson just throw away their game plan because they had the right game plan for the first quarter. Year of the slot fade. Jamar Chase is mm-hmm. very good at football. I don't know about the Jeff- Justin Jefferson second round hype, though. Anyway, we've got some wild card games to review. We haven't gotten to them yet. Those happened on Sunday. You're probably listening to this on a Wednesday, but we wanted to make sure we talked about that national championship game. And I'm sure we'll talk about that game a whole lot more because there are a lot of players that had standout games that we're going to talk about as we go through this draft process. And these are the two best teams in the country, right? So seeing Joe Burrow, just to, just to cap it off, do this against Georgia's defense, Clemson's defense, Auburn's defense, Florida's defense, even Alabama's defense in a down year for the Bama defense. I don't know what other tests he could possibly pass to convince anybody of his worthiness for that number one draft pick. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? 
Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Recapping the two games we haven't touched yet from the postseason, and it was the Sunday games because we had an episode on Saturday. No, we had an episode on Sunday recapping the Saturday games. And the games that I think were probably the most interesting of the weekend, only because not only I'm seeing the Ravens get upset by the Titans, but for me coming back and it was the Texans going out to that huge lead on the Chiefs. And everyone at that point thinking, Andy Reid can't get it done. This was the biggest deficit Pat Mahomes has ever faced. Very similar to the conversation where Lamar Jackson was down to the Titans. It was, let's see him throw from behind. Now, I I was being facetious when I said that on Twitter because I believe Pat Mahomes can throw from any situation, right? And they just completely go out and score seven straight drives. They get touchdowns. They only settle for a field goal at the end because it was the end of the game. Uh, Just a complete dominant performance once they got their feet under them. And it was an odd game to start because it was very similar to the Ravens, right? They had a fumble on a punt. They uh, had some bad drops on third downs. And all of a sudden, they're down really quickly to a Texans team that looked inferior but was having a hot day. Yeah, those special teams plays can really accentuate the saying any given Sunday. That's how any given Sunday can happen is you have – like you had in the Baltimore-Tennessee game. They, Baltimore, if they kicked field goals every time they got into field goal range, they would have scored like 15-plus more points in that game. It would have been a close game. Instead, they, they don't make it when they've been making it all year on fourth and short. They have mistakes. They have drops. And you see this a little bit in the LSU-Clemson game where they started too, where Mm -hmm. they're a little bit out of sync. They can't figure out the protection. Joe Burrow at times is, you know, there was at least one play where he's, you know, behind a little curl sit route to Thaddeus Moss when there's some pressure in his face a little bit late. And you see some of that at the beginning of this game. I left and and it was 24-0. And then I look next time I look at my phone, is 31 20 24 I think someone made a what happened 
Right. Someone made a comparison to me on Twitter yesterday during the LSU game that this is very similar. Burrow's game was very reminiscent of Mahomes' game. Mahomes had to take over. For whatever reason, those first reads weren't there for him, and he kept needing to extend plays and roll out and make throws. And I made the point during the game, I think it was Ben Baby put the passing chart out there again, as he does every every weekend, it seems. Uh, Mahomes didn't have to make any hard or deep throws, and I thought this game is very Joe Burrow-esque at the time, and we ended up seeing that on Monday, that it was very similar, especially with the situation of being down early and not really – coming out hot out of the gates uh but that game for the for the chiefs i think they're clearly the afc favorite i think if if you said i mean we can keep underestimating the titans i guess but that's going to be a home game in arrowhead and that offense can put up points in a hurry i'm excited to watch mahomes and hopefully andy Reid, because i really like andy Reid, and he's never won that that ring if if they can take care of the titans we'll see next week and i'm not you know really rooting against the titans i just think the way the NFC games looked with how dominant the 49ers ended up being over the Vikings and then the Packers beating Seattle, which I think Seattle was a good team, but obviously had their issues, even though as much as we love Russell Wilson, that O-line and a couple issues on defense just weren't uh, enough to overcome a Packers team that has a really good defense, really good running game with Aaron Jones. Man, what a great uh, 2017 running back class that was, but Aaron Rodgers looked like old Aaron Rodgers for whatever reason. He hasn't looked like this through the second half of the season. He found that magic elixir for that game. I liked somebody said, I think it was a PFF guy. This is the kind of defense that can make Aaron Rodgers look like vintage Aaron Rodgers. And by kind of defense, I mean a defense that doesn't get pressure. And Mm -hmm. he was pretty clean for that entire game. There was also, did you see, I think it was, FBG Chase on Twitter did these cool little five-way pie charts that showed how good different quarterbacks are at different things, and the more filled out the circles are, the little pieces of pie are, the better he is compared to his peers. So, for example, Drew Brees, really good at completion rate, sack avoidance, interception avoidance. Patrick Mahomes, really good sack avoidance, interception avoidance, and yards per completion. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, yards per completion, really good. Completion rate, really good. Uh, rushing ability really good Kyler Murray Lamar Jackson obviously rushing ability really good so you can kind of see this visual of where did the players excel compared to everyone else in all these different attributes and the one thing that Aaron Rodgers is still a lead at is interception avoidance now you give Aaron Rodgers and his efficiency is his tendency to avoid the interception a ton of time you don't have the coverage in the back end well that's how you get chewed up and especially with the defense that the Packers are now employing. And it used to be Rodgers had to carry and score 40. You know, very much Patrick Mahomes in his prime right now, right? And now that Rodgers is older, the Packers went out and signed a couple free agents, and especially as pass rushers, this defense is legitimately good. And if Rodgers isn't going to turn the ball over, and even if he only gets 21 points on offense, he's not putting the ball in the other team's hands. And if their defense can get one or two turnovers, that's the game. We saw all of this this playoffs. Winning that turnover battle, and it's an obvious thing. It's always, it's even true in in the uh, regular season, but it feels so much more truer in the postseason because of the finality of every single play and situation. But I, I like this matchup going into next week. 49ers, Packers. 49ers destroyed the Packers as they looked like zombies earlier in the year where they didn't want to go out to the West Coast and just walk through that game. But I, I like giving them another chance in the NFC Championship game against them. I, but I do really, really. That 49ers defensive line has a chance to really take over this game and pressure Rodgers and make him look a little bit worse than he did last week. I just wonder if Jimmy G is going to be able to uh, 
put up points at the same pace as Rodgers does. I think Mike Shanahan, not Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, going to have a good plant. That guy is ahead of the defense, man. That is a great play-calling strategist head coach. I think it'll be an interesting game, but since it's in San Francisco, that's got to tilt the favorites pretty hard towards San Francisco. For two teams that were 13-3, and three, one of these teams was dominant. The other one was like, are they actually that good of a team? I know they're 13-3, and three, but how did they really get there? So we'll see if this ends up close. I think the defense does make it a little bit closer. The Smiths as an acquisition. Adrian Amos has been great for them at free safety. They're getting better play out of Jair Alexander back there. So there are some tools on that Green Bay side of the ball. But do they have the speed? Can they handle the running game? They've got great pass rushers. How are they going to handle that trio of running backs? And just the incredible speed and scheme from San Francisco. I think that's a tough uphill battle. And then what about the AFC championship game? Well, yeah, it's the Titans and the Chiefs. And I think obviously the Chiefs are the better team. But man, the Titans have found a way to get this defense really playing well lately. They've got a good defensive line. And Derrick Henry and running the ball. And you know what? It's a funny thing about last week's game, just for another second, against the Ravens, is they threw, got out to a lead, and then just went to the run for the rest of the game. And I think some people misconstrued that afterwards of saying, oh, they ran it all over the Ravens. They did, but after they got the lead and the Ravens couldn't match, I wonder if they'll be able to do the same thing, though, against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to put up points, and they probably, as long as they don't start off like they did last week, probably going to put up points very quickly. I think we'll have to see Tannehill throw Definitely more than he has the first two weeks completing, I want to say, eight and then seven passes, respectively. But he's had such a great year that I want to see him throw, and I want to see that game. I still think the Chiefs come out on that one, and I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't bet against. I think the safe bet is the Chiefs and 49ers, although in the 100th year of the NFL, I think Chiefs-Packers will be a lot of fun, too, harking back to Super Bowl one. So there we go, getting closer to the Super Bowl. One last bit of breaking news here before we go, Joe. You ready for this? I'm ready. Joe Brady is heading to the NFL. Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. Good. Good for him. I can't believe, because LSU reportedly had an agreement with him that was going to let him pursue pro offers still, but I think he's getting paid LSU three-plus million dollars, which means Carolina is playing Joe, paying Joe Brady at least three, four well, million dollars. You heard this, this young owner for the Panthers is a bit of a... Uh, he, competitive animal like they say he's out there what aren't we supposed to be competing with each other after John Mara of the Giants said oh I'm not going to pay a first-time coach that money to talk about Matt Rule and they paid him crazy amount of money to get him because he's like we're competing against each other what is this you know gentlemen's club you guys are doing here I'm trying to win a Super Bowl so here he is uh, paying high for a offensive coordinator now also I'm not sure that Joe Brady is the offensive coordinator that everyone thinks he is, but we'll find out because he wasn't calling all the plays for LSU. He did, I think, against Oklahoma because of a tragedy in that coaching staff and the the Mm -hmm. family there, but he wasn't calling the plays all season. He was a passing game coordinator, so we'll see what his role is with the Carolina Panthers, he gets a lot of credit and probably rightfully so, but maybe we'll get a little bit more insight into that. And the dream of him following Joe Burrow to Cincinnati is over. And maybe Joe, that is a conversation topic for tomorrow. We'll talk about what it will take 
to adapt to Joe Burrow coming into the NFL. All this talk about go get, you know, the LSU guys and bring them with them. Well, has this happened before? Look at the other great quarterbacks that have come into the league and find me a time that they've brought the coaching staff with them. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow for that and for the mailbag. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.